Hey, testing, one, two, three. All right. Good morning. Good to be up here. Uh, we're down here. Drove down from Los Angeles this morning. And uh, uh, great day. I found out I had a flat tire. <laughs> I went into the parking lot to get something from my van. And I thought it was a tack in my tire. I looked closely, and it was a it was not a tack. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm, I'm saying to myself, you know, praise God that I made it here. <laughs> and what am I going to do now? And I look behind me and God sent a Gentile. <laughs> There's Frank. Frank's there and he's like, he's like almost begging me, can I change your tire? <laughs> I was like, praise God. He hopped out of his truck and changed my tire, and I was like, wow, this is great. God is good. I mean, oh, I mean, we Jews, we don't know how to change flats. So <laughs> <laughs> we just buy a new car. <laughs> God is good. Praise God. Well, uh, speaking in churches is the last thing I ever thought I'd be doing. Uh, coming from a Jewish background, grew up in San Francisco. Uh, we were the only Jews in an Italian Catholic neighborhood. For us, Christians were idol worshipers. I mean, that, it was very clear that it was us and them, and they were the idol worshipers. And uh, that's just the way we're taught as Jews, that you just don't believe in Jesus. Jesus is for the Gentiles. And that's how I grew up. Uh, eventually, I went to uh, had my bar mitzvah at the age of 13, then went to UC Santa Barbara where I studied art. I was a painter in abstract painting and, and did the whole party thing at UC Santa Barbara and then ended up uh, uh, flat, uh, unsatisfied, deep down, and wondered if there was something more to life than that. Started searching, got into um, uh, Eastern religion, philosophies, all that stuff. Which is interesting, in Isaiah chapter 2, God rebukes my people for going the way of the East. And that's what happened to me. In fact, you can get a copy of my testimony back there. Uh, there's a picture of uh, the cover is when I was a, a Zen Buddhist. A Jewish Buddhist. <laughs> but that didn't last long. I remember when uh, I was doing meditation at one of these ashrams in Berkeley after college. And they, I asked them, do you guys worship idols? And they're like, oh, no, no, we just do meditation. I'm like, okay. Well, a couple weeks later, I'm walking around the, uh, the area, the building, and there's this one door, like, slightly cracked open that I'd never been into or didn't know what it was. And so I, I look inside, and there is this huge golden idol with flowers at the bottom, you know? And I was like, ah, I'm out of here. <laughs> and I never went back. And uh, anyways, after several years of searching, getting in all kinds of crazy stuff, I finally went back to my Jewish roots and studied with the rabbis in Jerusalem. There I discovered something life-changing, that the Bible is without a doubt the Word of God, which, which uh, they don't teach Jews anymore in Sunday school. <laughs> it's tragic. And so I wanted to fulfill this, uh, this Word of God which meant living uh, the, through the Mosaic law given to my people uh, at Mount Sinai through the Lord, through Moses. 
uh, which means not, uh, uh, not working on Saturdays, eating kosher, growing out your beard, not hanging out with Gentiles. Believe me, that's one of the laws to the Jews to be separate. We're not even allowed to go in your house or marry Gentiles. God set us apart for whatever purpose. And it's hard being Jewish, believe me. But I really tried, and, and I failed. I, was, I found out that what a sinner I was in trying to fulfill the law. And my thought life was impure. My actions, uh, I blew it all the time. And I wondered, what is missing? And I did what the rabbis say, which is fast and pray on Yom Kippur and ask God to forgive you. I did that, and nothing ever changed. I got worse. I got into addictions, bad attitudes. I used to use the name of Jesus as a swear word all the time. Just, uh, and uh, thank God that in 1993, I met a real Christian. This Gentile I saw had faith in my God, the God of Israel. And that intrigued me. I saw a real faith in her. And uh, I met her briefly uh, when I was in Cal Poly. She was renting a room to my brother out there. And then a month later, I get this big box of books about Jesus <laughs> and a five-page letter. And I'm like, oh, no, she has a crush on me. <laughs> but no, she just saw I was thirsty and seeking. I didn't have anything against Jesus, really. I, you know, actually, at that time, I was actually kind of looking into him um, because of some things that had happened to me. Uh, and I started reading these books, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, More Than a Carpenter, uh, Josh McDowell books. And God opened my eyes. All of a sudden, everything started to make sense. What was missing in my life? Uh, that I needed a sacrifice for my sins. And uh, I saw that that was Jesus. And in 1993, I was by myself in my grandma's kitchen. I called on the name of the Lord uh, through the four spiritual laws. And it was like a brick house lifted off me. All the weight, the burden of sin lifted. That was a great day. Uh, stopped swearing. Uh, stopped, I used to be addicted to psychics. I stopped going to psychics. All kinds, everything changed. Stopped going to parties and clubs and all that stuff. And God put me on the straight and narrow, and he's been keeping me there ever since, you know, bouncing me. You know, every time I get out of line, whack, get out of line, whack. <laughs> But ever since then, I haven't been able to stop, up, stop talking about Jesus. And that's why I can't keep a secular job. <laughs> I always get in trouble for tell, talking too much about Jesus. So now I'm right where I belong in the ministry of Jews for Jesus. I've been uh, serving for six years now. I'm married to a, a Jewish believer from uh, New York for seven years. We have two kids. And I got a picture. <laughs> this is my, uh, my daughter when she was about a year. <laughs> I told my wife, I said, honey, you forgot to take her shoes off. <laughs> Anyways, God is good. Uh, so it's thanks to the Lord, the wall between Jew and Gentile is taken down. We can now pray with you. We can go in your house and fellowship with you. We can eat with you. And ever since I've been eating with you Gentiles, I put on 30 pounds. <laughs> and uh, the ministry of Jews for Jesus is very difficult. We are uh, coming against some heavy-duty, ingrained traditions of my people. 
you know, their whole foundation is at stake, the rabbinic Jewish foundation that says Jesus is not the Messiah. And my people are fighting tooth and nail uh, against the gospel for that reason. Because if Jesus really is a Messiah, which we know he is, that means the rabbis are wrong. And if the rabbis are wrong, the revered rabbis, that means maybe a lot of other things they're teaching is wrong. And they do not want to go there. Because that means their whole life is a sham. The whole foundation falls apart. And they don't want to go there. But we Jews who've come to see Jesus as the Lord and Savior are shunned, we're, we're kicked out of synagogues, we're considered traitors. So we have a, a tough job, but God is good. Uh, one by one, our people are coming to know him. And I minister uh, one-on-one with the uh, Jewish men in Los Angeles area. Got a caseload of about 125 guys I meet with on a regular basis. So we got our work cut out for us. But one of the things that really encourages us to press on as our mission is sharing with the body of Christ. And uh, um, uh, that really, you know, is such a blessing for us because we're out in the streets and we get spit on and called names and stuff. But hey, that happened to Jesus too. So it's not something to be surprised about. Anyways, uh, this morning we're going to go over the Passover Seder. And uh, it's one of the biblical holidays uh, uh, that was commanded to my people. God used the biblical holidays to remind us, keep reminding us about who he is and what he's done for us. And especially to teach our children about his character. God cares about our children. Because, hey, we weren't there when he parted the Red Sea and did all the miracles. Eh? So, and if we're so quick to forget what God has done for us. So these are constant reminders. Um... Uh, Passover happens about this time of year, every year. And if there's one thing a Jew will do, is do the Passover once a year. It's like the minimum. Even if they're, I mean, like, I'm no longer invited to my family Passovers, but my cousins who are atheists are invited. So figure that one out. But hey, I get to go to over 30 Passovers a year. 30 for one, that's not bad. Uh, Passover uh, is a, is a, is a seven-day holiday where for seven days we're commanded to eat nothing with leaven. No leaven's allowed in the house. We're not allowed to touch it. We eat only unleavened bread as our source of bread, matzah. Uh, because in the Bible, leaven is symbolic of sin. Because just as uh, leaven is used to puff up cakes, cookies, and breads, sin puffs us up with pride. And God hides himself from the prideful. So, before Passover, we must do a house cleaning. Every nook and cranny has to be vacuumed, everything wiped. You cannot have a crumb in the house. In fact, in Jerusalem, they will actually pull up the floorboards of all the bakeries to get to the crumbs that might have gotten through and redo the floor every year. And we're supposed to burn all this, uh, all this leaven. And you, you could even smell burnt toast in the air now and then in Jerusalem this time of year because people have taken their bread, they've gone to the park, and they had a bonfire. And, uh, uh, but here in America, Jews will usually just bag up their breads, cakes, and cookies and give them to their Gentile neighbors to hold till after the Passover. <laughs> but we're supposed to burn this stuff. Uh, my grandma, she used to just bag it and stick it in the garage somewhere. Anyone else from a Jewish background besides me here? 
Kind of, sort of? Oh, okay. Cool. Did you guys do Passover? What did you guys do with the bread? Oh. They actually tried to eat everything before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's eat those cookies. All the Gentiles love it because uh, I was just talking to one the other day. They're like, oh, my Jewish friend, she came over and gave me all her cookies all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, there goes the leaven. So the house has to be cleaned of all leaven. Now, usually this is supposed, this is supposed to be the duty of the men. And Jesus even knew that. We read in Luke chapter 22, verse 7, where it is written, 22, uh, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he, that is Jesus, sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. He sent the men to go do the work. But somewhere between then and now, that job got transferred over to the women, how? Nobody knows. <laughs> but we have a tradition that comes out of Eastern Europe, Europe where the women get a chance to get back at the men. You see, after they've slaved away all week to clean the house, then eve of Passover, she will actually stash a pile of breadcrumbs somewhere in the house. And the man, when he comes home, has to find them. If he doesn't, they cannot have the Passover. So the, ha the man comes home, and he goes and finds his trusty wooden spoon, his feather, and napkin. And he goes on the search for the leaven. It could be there all night trying to find it. It could be under the fridge, in the attic, who knows where. But thankfully, his wife's been nice enough to hide the crumbs exactly where she hid them the year before. <laughs> and the year before that, and the year before that. So he makes a big deal about finding the crumbs, and when he does, he puts the spoon beneath and sweeps them gently inside, not to drop any, wraps them in the white napkin, marches down to the local synagogue where there's a big bonfire, and all the other men are there throwing their crumbs into the fire and then declaring, my house is now ready for the Passover. They march back home. All the family is, is there in their finest attire, and he will put on his uh, special garment for the Passover called a kittle. It goes on like this. Like this. Like this. Now you know why there's so many Jewish doctors. <laughs> and uh, put on his prayer shawl. If any of you have ever been to a synagogue, you'll see the men wearing these. Uh, you get these at your bar mitzvah. They have the tassels, commandment by the Lord, to remind us to follow his laws of righteousness. Goes on like that. But instead of wearing the usual yarmulke or skull cap as a sign of respect to God, the night of Passover, the man of the house wears something a little more elaborate, symbolic of a crown, because the night of Passover, the man of the house is the king of the house. And in the Jewish family, it's the only night of the year that he's king of the house. 
And as the king of the house, he's going to guide his family through the traditional Passover Seder. Seder is Hebrew for order, because he's going to follow a specific order of service. Using this book called the Haggadah, which is Hebrew for the telling, because he's going to be telling a story. What story? The story of God's faithfulness to free my people from physical bondage, to, to bring them into the promised land. And it's going to start with a lighting of candles, and this is the duty and honor of the woman of the house. She will light the candles and say a prayer to usher in the uh, Passover and set the night apart from all the other nights. And it's appropriate that the woman of the house light the candles because the Bible is very clear in the book of Genesis that it would be through a woman that the Messiah would come, who's the light of the world. Because the seed of man was corrupted in the fall. It couldn't come from men. So after the lighting of candles, the head of the house will move over to the first cup of fruit of the vine that uh, he's going to use to help tell the story of Passover. And I noticed you got the Manischewitz up here. <laughs> okay. He'll hold the first cup, which is the cup of sanctification, and he'll say a prayer in Hebrew that goes like this. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Amen. Which translates into, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And everyone will partake of the first cup of the Passover, which is the cup of sanctification. That's to set the night apart from all the other nights. Then he'll go in and start talking about the story of Passover. How uh, our people, my Jewish people, had favor with the Pharaoh of, of Egypt, thanks to Joseph, how, how Joseph's uh, uh, interpretation of the, the Pharaoh's dreams helped spare that, that country from disaster for the seven day of, of uh, drought they had, seven years of drought. Uh, the Pharaoh had favor on my people, and he uh, welcomed the descendants of Jacob to Egypt. He gave them the best land in Egypt, the land of Goshen. They dwelt there for many years, and prospered. They prospered so much and grew that when the new pharaoh took over, who, was, he was, who did not have favor on my people, he was threatened by us. And he put us under bondage for many, many years as slaves. And uh, he'll go on to tell of how God was faithful in choosing Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He said, no, I will not refuse. And because of that, Ten plagues were unleashed. Ten times he went, and ten times he said no. Actually, nine times he said no. The tenth time he finally said yes. Or is it the eleventh? I don't know. Uh, and ten plagues had to be unleashed on Egypt to let the Pharaoh know God meant business. We remember those plagues as we lift up the second cup, the cup of plagues. And we mourn the suffering that the Egyptians had to go through because of the Pharaoh's hardened heart. And we remember those plagues as the head of the house will dip his finger in the fruit of the vine and let ten drops fall onto his plate as the ten plagues are remembered. Anyone remember what some of those plagues were? Flies, frogs, blood, the river to blood, lice, darkness, hail to fire, six, 
Locusts, seven. Uh, pestilence, eight. Boils, nine. One more. Death of firstborn. Good. What's interesting about these plagues is they focused on the false gods of Egypt. God judged the false gods of Egypt. You see, they used to worship the Nile River. God made it useless. They used to worship the sun. God turned it off for three days. They used to worship the beasts of the field. They all died except for the ones in Goshen. And did you know that every firstborn in Egypt was consecrated to, to uh, worship the Pharaoh as God? In one day, God did away with Pharaoh worship, with the 10th plague. Finally, the Pharaoh said, get out of here. So at this time, we remember God's faithfulness and God's righteousness in judging sin and disobedience as we drink of the second cup, cup of plagues. After that, the head of the house will move over to the Seder plate, plate with six compartments for six different food items, all to help us understand the story of Passover. And none of these food items are deviled eggs. <laughs> and the first item is fresh parsley, symbolic of life. The head of the uh, house will dip it in salt water, symbolic of tears, and he will make tears to remind us that a life of slavery is a life filled with tears. The second item is a horseradish root, a very bitter root. This is a visual to remind us of the bitterness of life as a slave. The third item, fresh ground horseradish, my favorite. Now we're supposed to eat a whole teaspoon of this stuff. You know what happens when you do that? <laughs> You cry whether you like it or not. <laughs> this is to taste of the bitterness of life as a slave. The fourth item, called the Chagigah, it's a hard-boiled brown egg, brown to remind us of the temple stones in Jerusalem. In 70 AD, the temple was burned and destroyed by the Romans. It's placed over fire to remind us of that. A symbol of mourning for most of my Jewish people, but for us who know the Lord, it's a symbol of joy, that we don't need this temple anymore. What's interesting about the temple was that's where they kept everyone's genealogical records, because the Bible is clear that the Messiah had to be a descendant of King David, which means that there's no Jew after 70 AD that can come and say, hey, I'm the Messiah, I'm a descendant of David. He's got no physical proof. It was all burned in 70 AD. It's only word of mouth now. Like my grandma, she says, I'm a descendant of the Levites. That's all it is, word of mouth. I got no proof. All of our records were burned in the 70 AD too. Chagigah, fourth item. The uh, fifth item is called Haroset. And this is a sweet mixture of apples, honey, cinnamon, Almonds. Looks like mortar, all whipped together. And this reminds us of the mortar that we were forced to make as slaves for many years in Egypt. But why use a sweet, sweet mixture for that? Because we had the promise of God that we would be set free and brought to the promised land. Finally, the last item is a lamb bone called the Zroah. 
And this reminds us of God's provision to spare his people the wrath of the tenth plague. God commanded that, that uh, we uh, take an unblemished lamb or goat, one year old, live with it for four days, and then offer it as a sacrifice to God and place its innocent blood on the doorposts and the lentils of our homes. And when the Lord came in to smite the firstborn of Egypt and he would see that innocent blood on the doorpost, he would pass over that house. That's where we get the name Passover. And everyone in that house will spare the, the tenth plague, death of the firstborn. Now we have to understand that by that time, by the time the tenth plague came around, a lot of Gentiles started to hang out with the Jews. They're like, I'm going to hang out with you guys. If they were in a house that had the blood on the doorpost, they were spared. And they allied themselves with God's people. And they left Egypt too when it came time to go. And just as that blood preserved God's people then, the innocent blood of Jesus preserves his people now of God's wrath. Those of us who've, who've accepted the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, his innocent blood shed for us, when, when it comes time to judge, God will pass over us. We read about that in Romans chapter 23. Oh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where it's written, <clears throat> For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the Lord makes provision for his people to preserve them from his wrath. That's the God I serve. Praise God. That's the uh, six items of the Seder plate. Uh, we also remember in the sixth item that Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And this is no longer taught to my Jewish people. We're taught that if you fast and pray, that God would forgive you on Yom Kippur, put your name in his book of life. Well, like I said, I, I did that every year, and I never changed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Leviticus 17:11, The life of a creature is in the blood. God says, I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your soul, it's the blood that makes atonement for your soul. So after the Seder plate, the head of the house, we'll move over to this pouch right here. It's called a matatash. There's three compartments in here. And in each compartment is a piece of matzah, unleavened bread. Why three compartments? Why three matzahs? We don't know. The rabbis, some of them will say that it's symbolic of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our forefathers. But we, as Messianic Jews, believe it's symbolic of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because it's only the middle matzah, the second one, that's pulled out. That's God dwelling with us. That's the part of God we see when Jesus dwelt among us. The head of the house will pull this out, 
break it in two, and he'll place it in a special white pouch called the afikoman, and he'll go and stash it somewhere in the house. Because later on, all the children are let loose to find it. And the one that finds it gets a big prize. Usually about 20 bucks. They tear the house apart. <laughs> when they finally find it, everyone rejoices. It's brought back to the head of the house, pulls it out of the pouch, breaks it into bite-sized pieces, shares it with everybody. And that's when the third cup is raised, the cup of redemption. This is the cup Jesus raised when he ushered in the new covenant in his blood and drink this in remembrance of me. The third cup, because he is the redeemer. And this is the cup of redemption. This is where we get our communion. The unleavened bread and the third cup of the Passover. And what's interesting about the, the matzah, it's unleavened, leaven symbolic of sin, just as Jesus was without sin. It's pierced as he was pierced for us. It's striped and bruised as he was whipped and beaten for us. It's broken, hidden in white as he was wrapped in white linen. Hidden away, buried. The children are sent out to find it. God must said we must be humble as children to see him. Once it's found, everyone rejoices. Brought back to the head of the house. Resurrected and shared with everybody. Who's the bread of life? Jesus. My people don't see this parallel. If you ask a rabbi, well, what's the whole thing with this game with the, with the matzah? They'll usually say, oh, it's just a game for the kids to keep them busy. It's just for the kids. They don't see this symbolism. And yet for us, it's so clear. It just shows you the heavy blindness that my people are under. Following the third cup, the head of the house will lift up the fourth cup and it's tradition to read from Psalm 113. If you've gotten a uh, Passover uh, brochure, you want to pull that out, go to the third page where it's uh, titled Responsive Reading. Uh, I will read the bold and, and all of you will read the uh, italicized as we lift up the fourth cup, the cup of praise. This is to praise God for his faithfulness. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high? He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord! Amen. And finally, the fourth cup, everyone partakes. Now remember, I understand that my people, when they drink of the third cup, they're not thinking of Jesus. They're thinking of Moses. They're thinking of being set free from physical bondage. But we remember being set free from spiritual bondage. I remember, uh, uh, you know, when sin came knocking on my door, I was like, come on in. But thanks to Jesus, I got a sign on my door and it says, no solicitors. 
And I can keep that door closed, that door that, that causes me to stumble. And my people praise God for sending Moses. We praise God for him sending Moses and Jesus. Amen? Amen. But there's one cup we haven't talked about here. It's this fancy-looking one, cup of Elijah. Tradition has it that we'll keep an empty place setting at our table because we know that before the coming of Messiah, God would send Elijah to tell us who the Messiah is. So at the end of the Passover, which could last about four hours, the head of the house will send the youngest child present to the front door, and he'll open it wide, and everyone will look and hope that Elijah will be there to tell them who the Messiah is. And he'll come and have Passover with them. So if you're driving around town the eve of Passover, and you see some doors go flying open, go on in. <laughs> Have a seat. Tell them who the Messiah is. Say, what are you guys doing? He came 2,000 years ago. For we know who is Elijah. Who is Elijah who has come? John the Baptist. He is Elijah who has come. Jesus says so. He is the forerunner. Cup of Elijah. So that's the Passover for you in a nutshell. Uh, I did bring some goodies for you in the back there. There's some free literature. Also got a great book on uh, food at the uh, time of the Bible with some biblical uh, recipes in here that are a lot of fun. I was reading them the other day. We got uh, Peter's herb sauce. We got Martha's meatballs. And this is my favorite, Prodigal Son's Veal Stew. <laughs> Yummy. Also got a, a, an powerful video on uh, uh, Jewish Holocaust survivors and how they came to faith in Jesus. Testimonies. This one, you better bring some tissues. Uh, and also got some Jewish, uh, uh, some music. Uh, this is what Jews sound like when they get saved. It's kind of a mix between your praise and worship and Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> <laughs> so come check that out. A lot of good stuff. Uh, I'll be in the back there if you guys have any questions in between services and stuff. So, uh, let me see, we got time for a little clip. Garrett, what do we got up there? Pop up the menu. <coughs> All right. Let's see. How about. Okay, I'll get you guys a good one. Larry King Live. In the year 2000, Juice for Jesus was on Larry King Live show. And I understand that it was the most watched Larry King ever. Uh, it was a debate between us and uh, two rabbis, and there was a Baptist uh, pastor in there too. So uh, there's some clips from this. This was pretty intense. This lets you know what we're up against in the ministry of Jews for Jesus. Roll them. On Larry King Live. If you have something to sell, be straight about it. Just say, we're trying to sell Christianity, we're Christians, here are our Christian symbols. Don't adopt somebody else's, uh, somebody else's uh, you know, symbols. This is not, we're not selling a car. They're designing it for subterfuge. That's correct. 
Right. What is the position in this, David, of Jews for Jesus? Well, briefly explain that organization, because you're not Christian, are you? Well, we are or Jewish are people who have come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior of the world, that he died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sins. You don't celebrate Christian holidays, right? Well, we are 100% Jewish and 100% Christian. And this is not about subterfuge, and this is not about uh, appropriating symbols. After all, Jesus himself used Jewish symbols. He was he, Jewish. He was Jewish. And so the message of faith in him is a very Jewish message. Rabbi Botayak, uh, do you agree with Rabbi Heyer that they're using subterfuge? This is wrong? Well, I would say, Larry, it goes well beyond using subterfuge. I mean, who would have thought that in a new millennium we, are, we would once again see the prevalence of spiritual dictatorship and totalitarianism? I mean, basically, the Nazis said there's a problem with the Jewish body, so let's find a solution. And these groups are saying there's a problem with the Jewish soul. We have another solution. It's called conversion. And your thought is to make Jews Christians or to make Jews what? What we're looking to do is to engage, to explain and to share with our Jewish people the love of God, that God sent Jesus the Messiah to suffer, to die for our sins. He rose again from the dead and that by putting our faith and trust in him, we can have forgiveness for all our sins, past, present, and future. Now that's a message of love. It's a message of hope. And it's one that we want to share not just with Jewish people, but with all people. And we do not believe that there's one train board this train because if you're not on this train you're not going to heaven. But that's, you believe that's there ridiculous. is a judge, a God who is judging Of course, and it's you the God to decide. He didn't, he didn't give over his job to us. This is not just an intelligent debate on TV. This is a subject which has led to my people being turned into you know, lampshades and uh, auto defaces and crusades. But, that, uh, that, but Rabbi, that's an emotional appeal and well done. However, if someone has a sincere belief that Christ is the answer and wants to share that with you, why are you hanging the Holocaust around his neck? He wants <laughs> well, to know, share a well, belief Larry, with you. Well, Larry, How do you know he hasn't come? We're, well, because the world is still in turmoil. We're told that when the Messiah comes, we will all live in peace and tolerance. And since we know that hasn't happened, we know for sure that the Messiah has not come. Was he supposed that? to bring world peace and, and was he supposed to resurrect the dead? The first and most important place that Larry. peace begins is in the heart. Peace is not something that's forced from outside. It begins in the heart, and that's what Jesus brought. He brought peace between God and men. And no, he is Isaiah coming says, again, and Isaiah he will bring peace on the earth when he returns. You're interrupting again. <laughs> you believe that Rabbi Boteach is going to hell? I believe that all of us are going to hell, but God is in the business of saving us. And that's and why you're he sent, saved and he's not. That's why he sent Jesus the Messiah. So you're I, saved and he's not. I've got my sins forgiven. I don't know how Rabbi Boteach is having his sins forgiven. So my in your opinion, that's between him and God, and I'm not the one who judges Rabbi But you're Botea. making a judgment here. You're telling us if he doesn't accept Christ, he's in trouble. Well, Jesus made that judgment, and that's the point. I believe that the teachings of the New Testament are clear. Jesus is the way to have our sins forgiven. I'd like to challenge everybody to read the New Testament before making up their mind about Jesus. Give David yourself Brickner, what a do you chance know about to hear. Give yourself you know a chance Judaism to hear. well? Have you read the Old Not Testament? well enough, and that's one of the things about so, Judaism. I mean, you, you never you, know you, it well you, enough, right? right. <laughs> Thank you all no, very much for an enlightening hour. We are out of time. The subject will not go away. All right. Thank you, Garrett. Good, good. This will not go away. That's true. We're in a battle here. And it's never a dull day serving in the ministry of Jews for Jesus. Uh, you do have a tear-out in your Christ in the Passover uh, brochure. You can... Tear that out and fill this out front and back. If you have a heart to see my people come to know the Lord, you want to get our newsletter. It's our gift to you. It's free. 
And uh, we're going to be taking up an offering for Juice for Jesus if you'd like to help us press on with our mission. And uh, just pop that in. And you can get our free newsletter and get on the cutting edge of all the action. We are an international ministry. There's a lot of exciting things happening. So take advantage of this. It is our gift to you. God bless all of you. You've been great. I'll be hanging out um, uh, here after the service. You guys have any questions or want to come and get some goodies, I'll be here, okay? God bless you. Shalom Aleichem. Come on up, Pastor. Thank you, Cyril. Thank you. Well, as, as Cyril mentioned, we are going to take a little offering. If any of you guys uh, are interested, you can make out your checks to Jews for Jesus. This offering will go directly to them. Also, if you want to get their free newsletter, you can fill out that thing and drop it in the, in the offering sock also. So if we could uh, have some ushers come forward, and we're going to take an offering at this time. Let me, uh, let me pray and give, and give thanks. Lord, we thank you for the ministry to, to your people. They are, they are your people, and you love them dearly, even as you love us. Lord, our desire is indeed that you would reach your people with the gospel, those, those people who you love. And Lord, we, we want to uh, see this offering used for that purpose, Lord. So we sanctify it to you and set it apart. And we thank you for the ability to participate. In Jesus' name, amen.